Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host, and very happy to be with you today again. Thank you for tuning in. It's always good, and it's our privilege to open the Word of God, to share with each other, and to learn more from the Word of God to apply in our lives. And today's topic is longing for more. I would like to welcome uh, the members of our panel today, and I will say hi, uh, Joe. Good to have you with us today. Hi, Nick. It's wonderful to be here. Um, thank you. And thank you, Len, for joining us today. Thank you for your welcome, and hello, listeners. And I trust that um, this Bible study will be of benefit to you. And Lija, good to have you with us. I'm very glad. Thank you to be part of the Bible study always. Will, it's good to have you with us also. Thank you, Nick. Longing for more. I certainly uh, stand in line for more from Jesus and his word. Amen. And Ken, it's good to have you with us today. And thank you for uh, preparing this Bible study and facilitating today. Please take us through. Okay. Thank you, Nick. It's uh, great to be here again. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's Bible study. We are almost at the end of this series, Rest in Christ. Today's study is Longing for More. Perhaps an unusual title for today, especially if you are not a Christian or a Christian who does not study their Bible. Some of you may be thinking, how can we rest in Christ? But the Bible tells us in Matthew 11 and verse 28 to 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What amazing words from Christ for each and every one of us. Rest is important to your spiritual walk with the Lord, and many Christians today don't appreciate the value of rest or keeping the Sabbath day holy as the Bible commands. Rest allows our mind, body and soul to renew and start with even more strength and focus. As we need rest from our labours, we also need rest from the world and its fast paced of living. So many people today are getting burnt out and reaching for pills to help them get through the day. But Jesus is offering a rest to all who come and follow him, a rest that can change your thinking and your life, a rest that can bring peace to your soul, no matter what is going on around you. Join us now as we look into longing for more. As always, we start off with prayer and Leitcha, would you mind leading us in this? Glorious Holy Father in heaven, we coming here before you in reverence and humble ourselves before you, Father, to thank you so much that you are the one, the creator, the redeemer that still loves us and cares for us. Thank you so much that today we have the privilege again to study your holy word. Father, thank you so much that you want to show us examples of deep spiritual significance that we're going to talk about today. Examples that can be applied to our individual lives 
and models of originals that help us grasp and understand better things that many times are beyond our understanding. Please, Father, bless us with your Holy Spirit and bring light into our hearts and minds to understand the things that you want us to make it clear in our hearts and minds to be able to live it and apply it in our lives. Father, please remain with your presence today in our Bible study and bless each one of the panel members. Help us, Father, to be your humble instruments, to be able to serve you and love you and bring you honor and glory to your holy name. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you, Leitcha. Well, learning from the examples of others. Panel, would you like to share with our listeners some positive lessons you have learned from other people over the years? It's very interesting, Ken, that when a child is very young, it um, has its parents as its role model. When a child hits about the teen years, they start looking at other people as role models, maybe film stars, rock stars, and other people, teachers. And quite often, they will forsake the way of their parents and go the way of these other role models. It was interesting with my own children. My oldest son, Mark, said to me one day, Dad, when I was a teenager, I tried to do everything different to you. And then he said to me, now I'm a bit older, I find myself doing everything the same. So we are influenced by the people we admire and we can also be influenced by the people we do not admire. They can be negative influences. Just because of um, conflict of generations, as Len pointed out, many times happens that uh, children with parents, they are in conflict, uh, even though the parents will... Um, will do the best they can because they have life experience. And uh, children, of course, uh, haven't been exposed yet to the reality of life. But the good thing is that later on in life, they can look back. And it's important, the foundations which were um, established, you know, and this is what I will say uh, again uh, today. Parents have an amazing... uh, uh, role to play in society. And parents are not only those uh, biological parents, but uh, as the Bible portrays many times, parents are all those people with life experience, you know, the elderly people. Uh, in um, in Bible terminology, every elder of the community, he was considered as a parent uh, in the community. And uh, I think we are going to look back to some of those examples in the Bible today also and uh, contemplate on their uh, uh, sharing. Thank you, Nick. Will, do you want to add something? I think that I could say overall that um, the Word of God lived out in the life of others I have met and known have molded me into what I am. Of course, the Word of God itself, its teaching and the example of Jesus prove to be the major transformation agents in our lives. Thank you. Leecher, you wanted to add? Many times we are learning from others' experiences 
But when we learn from our own experience, it uh, engraves this experience in ourselves. And it's totally different than as we learn from others. But others also are an example for us to learn from it and um, yeah, and uh, um, tend to look in a positive way and not repeat the negative one. Thank you. I was just thinking back a moment ago to what Len said about what his uh, children were saying to him. And I, I think back of that saying, you cannot put an old head in young shoulders. And I remember when I was growing up, when I got into the teenage years, uh, my mom and dad used to say certain things and I would think to myself, well, what would they know? You know, they're old, they don't know anything. But it's funny, when I got into older years, I found myself saying and doing exactly the same things. And uh, it, it really is true that parents do have a wealth of information. They don't know everything, obviously, but they know an awful lot more than we do when we're growing up. I, I did find find that interesting. Panel, what are some attitudes or behaviours you choose to avoid after watching or listening to others? Well, this might sound a bit weird to some people, but one of the things that I really try to avoid, which came about because of somebody I knew very well, is slurp my soup. If ever I'm having soup, I don't the soup. I put it in my mouth, close my mouth, and then I taste it before I swallow it. But my dad, he won't mind if I tell tell you this, used to slurp his soup. I think it tastes better that way, but it used to annoy me, so I'm not a soup slurper. There are other things, of course, too, that I don't do because of what I've seen other people do, and I find those things uh, life-destroying. We were saying a bit earlier that um, it's important to learn from others, and we have a saying, I'm not sure in English, probably something similar, but it's better to learn from the skin of others than from your own skin, because it can be painful, you know, when you learn from your own skin. I uh, grew up uh, myself in a very uh, strong community, you know, a small village in, in the mountains, and uh, we were influenced and uh, affected by pretty much everything what happened in that community. And uh, I remember having an uncle, he was a great man. He was very altruistic, uh, very, you know, he felt with all other people around, but he had a bad addiction. He was an alcoholic and uh, he will try for a long time not to drink. But when he drank, he drank, you know, and he, he lost everything in when he was start drinking for a few days and weeks. He was a shepherd, you know, and uh, having uh, lots of sheep and flocks, and he will sell all the sheep and drinking with all his friends. And I said, I don't want to have that sort of uh, addiction in my life. Mm. And that's something which stuck with me, even though I was, uh, you know, exposed to this. I was drinking and smoking and all those things, but I gave it to God. And I said, I don't want to end up in that position as my uncle or some other people with other addictions. Uh, Nick, I can certainly relate to that one as my uh, father was an alcoholic and a smoker and uh, growing up in him and watching different things that happened, uh, 
I ended up never smoking and not drinking. So, uh, yeah, people certainly do have an, an influence on your life, uh, some positive and some not too positive. Mm. <laughs> um, why is the Bible so f- full of so many stories about people from all walks of life, many people like you and me? I'm sure sometimes people have thought about this. Glenn, would you like to expand on this one? Well, let me share with you a text from the book of Romans, chapter 15 and verse 4, which says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, so we might have hope. Now, there are some fantastic people mentioned in the Scriptures Hebrews chapter 11 talks about some of these, but I'd like to share some of those people and what they teach us. Firstly, those who taught faithfulness by their lives. There was Enoch, there was Joseph, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jesus taught us, teach me, and can teach us faithfulness. And then on the other side, we have unfaithfulness. There's Gehazi, who was Elijah's servant. There was Lot's wife. There were the Israelites in the wilderness. And then I think the Bible teaches forgiveness. And we see how David, what he had done, he did some terrible things, but he was forgiven. And Saul, who later became Paul, he was a terrible man at first. And then the uh, examples from the scriptures tell us about how God will help us in time of need. Like when King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, was being attacked by a group of enemies, the Moabites, Ammonites, and the Mount Seerites, he prayed and the Lord helped them. And then it teaches me and teaches us that if we place our request before God, that God will give us an answer. King Hezekiah was about to die, and he tearfully prayed to the Lord, and the Lord gave him another 15 years. So here are some people who teach faithfulness, unfaithfulness, forgiveness, help, and supplication. Because God is not deaf. He's not locked away in some ivory tower and has no idea what life is like here on earth. Jesus came down here and he experienced all the situations we have to face, yet he wasn't, he didn't sin. So the Bible is a very positive book. It has special things so that we can also be faithful and true and live a life that's filled with peace and not disharmony. So really the Bible, the stories that's in the Bible about all different people is examples for us to look at and follow. Would that be a a good way to put it? I think so. Joe, would you like to add something? I like the way that the Bible, and I've mentioned it before, doesn't gloss over the bad things that people do. Good people make poor choices and bad people, if you like, make good choices. And so um, I think a, a lot of it has to do with, teaching us, giving us um, object lessons into uh, particularly, as you 
perhaps young people have more to gain because they haven't made as many mistakes, but all ages can learn from the example and the object lessons that are portrayed in scripture. So I think it pays well to, to consider these things because we can see that if you make choice A, this will probably be the result. However, if you make a, a choice that is godly, well, there are these benefits. And so I think um, they're valuable lessons for us to learn. Uh, what is it this, it's written? It says that a, a wise man looketh well unto his going. And I think it's important that we consider our choices and the consequences of them. You know, we're encouraged to be impulsive these days. You know, do it on the spur of the moment. You know, you only live once, but, you know, there are consequences to choices, and I think it, it's well worth us considering carefully. Um, not that we should be hampered or hamstrung by them, but I think it's uh, important to be wise in the decisions that we make and the choices and the pathways that we take. Thank you, Joe. What important lessons can we learn today from these and as an example, the people of Israel on their extended journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Will, would you like to tell us something about that? History is a very effective teacher. And uh, we've already said that we learn from the lives of others. The Apostle Paul calls on us to look back to the children of Israel in their wilderness experience and to extract lessons for ourselves today. Let's read what he says um, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 11. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down and to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Here is the key point. In verse 11, he says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, in whom, on whom, the culmination of the ages has come. That's a very uh, comprehensive uh, passage, actually, in the Bible to explain why so many things Positive and negative happen in the Bible and was uh, written there for us all to learn from uh, from their example, from their mistakes. And uh, there was a question a bit earlier, uh, Ken, you ask, um, you know, why, you know, all these things are written in the Bible, you know, not the, the Bible could have been written just as a 
positive, very positive, uh, uh, you know, book, but actually would not apply for our lives. Uh, it will be only positive. We'll live in, in that, um, uh, virtual reality, uh, which, which these days it's so common. People are just living for, uh, uh, dreaming, you know, for those things which they can see on movies, on TV, on shows, on whatever. And the reality is far away from that. And then when you hit the reality, you come down to, yeah, to what it is and it can be very depressive. Ben, would you like to add something to that? Yes, I would. Just before Moses died, he called all the people together and he instructed them. And basically, this is what he said. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, all will go well with you. If you disobey, you're going to find it's not going to be like that. You're going to suffer hardship. Joshua, the following leader, also spoke to the people all together, and he said the same thing. If you obey the Lord and follow the principles that he has given, it will go well with you. You will have peace. You will have rest in your lives. But if you choose to disobey, then things were not going to go well with you. And then he added something which I think is really good. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I've actually taken this on for myself. I want to serve the Lord. I want to keep his commandments and be faithful and to accept the sacrifice of Jesus because as uh, the Apostle Paul said about himself, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's what I'm looking forward to and what the example of some of the leaders throughout the ages recorded in the Bible also had as their aims and goals. Thank you, Leanne. Jill? I think it's, um, I think Paul is having a, a really sharp shot, if you like, at the Corinthians, who are obviously um, indulging in all sorts of liberties, like feasting in pagan temples and causing being a stumbling block to their brothers. There were other issues, serious issues. And he's saying to them, I think, please don't, you know, don't take your previous spiritual experience so that you now can take God for granted. Uh, what you had in the past cannot protect you from poor choices that you're making now. And so he uses the example of the Israelites. You know, they were all baptized like you, and, you know, they ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, and they drank from the spiritual rock, as you claim to have. And um, But nevertheless, God was not pleased with them, and God may not be pleased with you. If you're making these same choices, if you are idolaters, do not be idolaters as some of them were, it says in verse 7. So here we have, he's contrasting Israel. You know, they had so many privileges. They, they participated in the body of Christ, if you like, but they chose the wrong way. And so they, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And so this is a warning. It's a warning to all Christians that um, that we shouldn't take spirituality, not to be blasé about it and um, not to take liberties and not think that previous experiences in the Lord 
can protect us from poor choices now that if we turn our back on God, you know, this once saved, always saved. I think this is um, a particularly sharp jab at that. Thank you, Joe. That really is a very amazing uh, passage, what we've just heard of, because it makes it very clear that if you do not follow the commandments of God and do the right thing, you will have trouble in your life. And uh, the, the Bible, I think, is very clear from the Old Testament, the New Testament, follow the ways of the Lord for blessings or do your own thing and you end up maybe with cursings. Leecher, you wanted to add something? I'm so glad that we have the history of the Bible because it helps us to learn from others' experiences and not repeat it again in our lives for us to suffer, but to grow in our lives and go higher and higher in a better way, not in a bad way. And also, if I could add there, uh, Ken, yeah, bring it down uh, to us all. It's very important to realize that we are called to be God's people. As Christian, as Joe just mentioned, Israel was called to be God's uh, people. And they did all sorts of things. And even though God manifested himself among them amazingly, and I believe God is still manifesting himself uh, among his people today, the problem is, do we have the eyes to see that or we are more focused on uh, what the Israelites were focused, you know, uh, on the things back in Egypt or uh, on the things which other um, people around them, they were doing and uh, all sorts of things. And that phrase, you know, that they were baptized into Moses, I think that's very significant because as New Testament Christians, which many people will say, I'm a New Testament believer. Actually, if we are the child of God, doesn't matter if it was in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you are in the same shoes, if you, say, if you like to say. And one thing I like to say that all through history, God's people, they were exposed to many trials because uh, they had God on their side and God could manifest himself to uh, and through them to show his power to other people. In the army, we used to say, uh, we have a, a saying, an, a word, and I think it applies in many aspects of life. Um, the baptism of fire, for example, and that was particularly when you, when you do the first training, you know, shooting and all those things, you know. We are experiencing the baptism of the spirit you know uh, you know how the bible says that oh these people were baptized with john baptism but they haven't received the holy spirit we need to be baptized to have the holy spirit and the guidance of god in our lives and to know that and to express that around us in every aspect of life very true nick um we want to change for a minute now and look at uh, something I found very fascinating in the Bible, and that was the earthly sanctuary. Now, what was so important about the building of the earthly sanctuary uh, given to Moses by God? Joe, would you like to tell us a little bit about this? Yes, we find the inception of the, um, the tabernacle, the sanctuary, in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. And where God speaks and says, then have them make a sanctuary for me that I will dwell among them. 
Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Now, a couple of things come out of this for me. Um, one is that God desired to be among them and dwell in their midst. Um, he was to be their ever-present uh, protector, sustainer, father to them. Nothing bad could happen while they were in his presence and while he was among them. So that's a key point. God's, And it also means it's the same today. God desires to dwell among his people, in his people. And the second thing is that the sanctuary that was built, I don't know how many of our listeners have had an opportunity to have a look through some of its descriptions and purposes, but it was built as a teaching tool, a visual aid of which they could, should, and would reflect on. So every article in the sanctuary, every ritual or process was symbolic of the sacrifice of the Son of God and the very costly process of redemption. Even the embroidery, the priestly vestments, they weren't just ornaments but symbolic of Christ's ministry. There was no clutter, no non-essential decoration, only the bare essentials, and everything was a symbol. There was an offering um, of incense and prayers and intercession, sprinkling of sacrificial blood. It's quite an extensive and elaborate um, system. And the important thing is, with the sacrifices and all the processes involved, this wasn't a means to pacify an angry God like in the pagan religions of the time, but a depiction of what a loving God is doing for them. And I think that's an important point. People sometimes read the Old Testament and they say, oh, blood, 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 there's blood everywhere. What sort of angry God were they worshipping when all he wanted was blood? In fact, this blood was symbolic of the blood of God, the blood of Christ that is shed for for sinners. And so it's not to pacify an angry God, but a depiction of a loving God. And, of course, I might add that it continues to be a teaching tool even for us today if we contemplate on the symbolism. Thank you, Joe. We can say that God wanted a special place made on earth for him. That is, a copy of the heavenly sanctuary. In fact, the next 89 verses in Exodus 25 tell every detail that was to be adhered to and was very precise. What was God wanting to teach the people of Israel through these symbols? Will, would you like to expand on this one? As Joe has so eloquently stated, uh, the sanctuary on earth was to reflect the sanctuary in heaven. God instructed Israel to construct the sanctuary in the wilderness that he might dwell among them. And this sanctuary was to be built according to a pattern of the sanctuary in heaven. Everything about its construction and its services reveals eternal truths about Christ himself being the lamb of sacrifice for the salvation of the world. The truth is, Jesus is represented in every offering. The entire priesthood, every article of furniture, as Joe said, every service, all point forward to Christ. The whole sacrificial system of the shedding of blood foreshadows the shed blood of Christ. And so the tabernacle or the sanctuary in the wilderness is constructed from a building plan delivered to Moses by God himself. It was a copy of the sanctuary in heaven. You see, in heaven, Jesus would offer the merits of his own blood for the forgiveness of sins instead of the blood of sacrificial animals, 
which the earthly priests supplied for the transgression of the people and, of course, themselves. But in short, Jesus is our advocate and intercessor in the heavenly sanctuary and is ministering for our salvation and eternal life. But let's back this up with uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, where Paul says, Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer, talking about Jesus. But if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. And so what happened on earth was a reflection of what was the ministry in heaven for the salvation of people by the shedding of blood, this time not the shedding of the blood of animals, but the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Whoa, how amazing was this, that the Israelites built a copy of the sanctuary that is in heaven on earth, where Jesus ministers on behalf of all God's people. Now, we see another important example of things to come or person to come. Glenn, would you like to explain this one? Well, following Joe's very erudite description and the reason why God wanted a temple built, there were services established. And um, Joe was referring to what some people might describe as blood, blood, blood in the Old Testament. But you know, in the New Testament, it says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And all these sacrifices which were instituted in the Old Testament, you can read about them particularly in the book of Leviticus, point, as Will and Joe have both said, to the shedding of blood by Jesus. Now, what happened if somebody was convicted of their sin and they wanted cleansing from sin and, of course, rest in a way that uh, their consciences are not bothering them, they had to bring an animal into the court around the sanctuary. And depending on a person's position or their wealth, Uh, It would be either a young bull, a male goat, and sometimes a female goat or a lamb, and going down the list, a dove or a pigeon, if somebody was very poor, and if they were very, very poor, maybe some flour. Now, normally we think about the sin offering and the burnt offering in terms of a lamb, And usually we think of it in terms of a male lamb without any defect. But sometimes there was a female lamb. Now, when we go to the New Testament, we read in a number of places, and I'll pick one or two out, 
For example, when Jesus came to be baptized by John in the Jordan, as Jesus was approaching, John cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. All these old practices, Old Testament practices, met their culmination, their fulfillment in Jesus. I want to read another one from First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, you really need to listen to this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now, why so much about blood? The thing is that the wages of sin is death. And symbolically, when people's blood is poured from their body, they'll die. We know that. And Jesus' blood represents his death to pay for our sins so that we don't have to face the consequence of our sins if we ask for his forgiveness. This is a big subject, and uh, I'd love to spend more time about it, but this will do for the moment. Thank you, Len. What lessons can we today learn from the experience of the children of Israel about entering God's rest? Nick, would you like to tell us something about this? We are going to just look um, at uh, a beautiful passage in Hebrew chapter uh, 4, and verses uh, 1 to 11. Now, this um, portion of scripture is misinterpreted and misunderstood many times. Uh, I heard about a uh, lot of debates on this one from uh, Christians who will um, argue the fact that um, God uh, is giving another day uh, for us to rest uh, and referring to the Sabbath day that the day was changed. But Let's look at this, just uh, I will read uh, some of these uh, passages. In verse 1, it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that no one of you be found to fa- have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. And I'm pretty sure here it's a reference to to those people, uh, to God's children who really obeyed God. Uh, just come in, comes in my mind people like uh, Abraham, like uh, Jacob, like uh, and many others um, in the Bible. But the children of Israel, they had all those testimonies, all those examples, but they choose to uh, disobey God. And he speaks about um, uh, the rest that uh, they could not enter. Uh, Now, we who have believed enter the rest just as God had said. And here it's another uh, interesting passage. So I declare an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his 
works. Now here it's the, the, also the punch because the Sabbath rest is given as an example how we, we could rest in God. On the Sabbath day, it, everything was set aside and we were instructed to keep the Sabbath and worship God in a particular way. That's what God is expecting us to do. God wants us to leave all things aside when we give our life to him and we have rest in him, in God. We cannot go both ways. I mean, half with God, half with the, the world, to say so. We do our own uh, ways of doing things. And I remember now as Elijah, great prophet of God, said that for how long will you stumble, you know, on, on two opinions? You know, I mean, choose today. You are either with God or with Baal. Um, and the passage continues to, to go. Um, I, will, I will encourage anyone, you know, to look in Hebrew chapter 4 and learn some of the great lessons. Because later on, um, it says uh, here that God chose a time, another time for us which never refers that God gives another Sabbath day. God chose another time, like today. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, harden not your heart. This is your time. Today, this is my time. Today, not yesterday, not tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. Yesterday is gone. But today, we have opportunity to fully give our life to God and have that rest which uh, in the book of Hebrew speaks about. Thank you, Nick. I think there's uh, two important things jump out to me from that passage, and that is one is uh, those who obeyed. So obviously, if you don't obey the Lord's commandments, and then secondly, it said, they shall not enter my rest. So as Nick was just saying, you cannot have it both ways. You have to obey the Lord to receive that wonderful rest that we have now. There's some very important information here for God's people everywhere. We have heard about God's ways, perseverance, faithfulness, keeping the commandments and entering into the Sabbath, seventh day rest. But is it possible to have all this knowledge and know about the plan of salvation and still not be able to enter God's rest? What can protect us from falling into the same examples of disobedience? I believe there's only two things faith and obedience. So here we see we must obey God and have faith. But what would you say to someone who told you, I want to find rest, but I don't have enough faith? Panel, any suggestions to that one? Faith is coming through a stronger relationship with God. It's not coming through any other way. So if we don't have faith, of course, we cannot understand and we cannot apply and uh, faith is something strong in our hearts that we can believe things that we cannot see and we can believe in our hearts that whatever was promised is going to take place. So faith is coming and is building and is, is uh, uh, blooming in our hearts through our uh, relationship with God daily, not only daily, but moment by moment, every moment. That's so true, Lynn. There used to be a hymn which I've sung many times, and it was uh, went like this, Trust and obey, for there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Now, with faith, we're not able to prove everything, but we accept the word of God as being true. Not blindly, but we accept it because of what we can test and it comes through that it's it's correct, it's authentic. So it's believable. And the word of God tells us if we commit our lives to the Lord and accept his conditions, we can have eternal life. If we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life. So first of all, the faith but going along with faith, the product of having faith and that acceptance is obedience. The two things are necessary. Thank you, Len. Why is it dangerous to put off responding to God's invitation to enter into his rest today? I mean, is there a problem if we decide to wait? Len, what would you say to that one? Well, just this morning on the news, I heard about a couple who'd been waiting at the New South Wales Victorian border because they want to get home. And it made me think in relation to what we're talking about today, anybody who's been overseas and couldn't get home because of the COVID virus and all the shutdowns that have been happening, what would happen if there was an opportunity to take a flight back home? Would they sit around and think about it and deliberate on it? It seems to me if I was in that situation, I would grab the first opportunity. The Apostle Paul was one time speaking and telling his life experience to King Agrippa. And King Agrippa said, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost is not enough. I don't think Agrippa ever became a Christian. Then we have this text in 2 Corinthians 6.12. It says, now is the acceptable time. I want to say this to you listeners. If you feel the urge to commit your life to the Lord, don't procrastinate. Do it. Otherwise, you may never do it. Or on the other hand, you could be wiped out in a car accident. Now, that's not a very nice thought. But the thing is, when you feel the the movings of the Spirit of God in your life, act on it. Don't wait, because you may never make that decision afterwards. And the chance is coming only once, maybe. That is so true. Yeah. Not always, but sometimes only once. Yes, you just never know what a day brings. I, I know many people in this world are uh, working day and, day and night to accumulate lots of riches and do all sorts of things, but none of us know if we have tomorrow, and today is the only day we have at the moment, so we should do the best we can, and especially as Christians, we should be the best we can to represent Christ. My God put the day of rest into place at the beginning of creation, What is the relationship between the Sabbath day and God's invitation to enter fully into his rest? Will, would you like to tell us a little bit more about this? Well, we learn that salvation is really at stake. Um, I was thinking that airports and cities are establishing recharge stations for electric cars. Too many drivers have found out that what happens if they push their vehicles beyond the battery capacity the invitation of the Saviour to come apart and rest a while 
refresh our spiritual energies by being in the very presence of his life-giving power, and especially for a full day each week on the Sabbath that he has given us, has just got to have a sanctifying and a regenerating effect on our souls. Otherwise, we run on empty and soon find out uh, that we have spiritual lethargy and might uh, develop spiritual indifference and a loss of salvation as a result. Once you've experienced the intended benefits of the Sabbath day, it's natural to recommend this rest to others too. And there is rest in Christ discovered of the rest on the Sabbath day. And Ken, uh, if I could add on that one, because he says, like the Sabbath rest, uh, what that means like um, for us all today. Now, depends of how do you understand the Sabbath rest. I uh, myself um, understand that when the sound goes down on Friday evening, Uh, I stop all the activities, all the work, all the worries of the week uh, are put aside, and I draw near to God, open Sabbath, and spend the whole day, the whole Sabbath day, more intentional on connecting with God and spirit- on a spiritual level, not thinking that I may need to go to do shopping, I may need to go to do uh, other things. All those things I plan to do it during the week. And that's why Sabbath is a special day now. How important is, if we could apply that in our relationship with God, our the, the rest which we can find in God will be like a Sabbath day, that nothing will obstruct us to be in connection with God. Now, I heard about many times this sort of uh, uh, saying that, oh, well, I, I still need to do a few more things, you know, and then I will come uh, to God and I will give myself to God and I will even involve myself in ministry, in doing things. But I need to just wait until my children will finish their school or their uh, education, or I may just finish to build this house or um, do this sort of thing, finish my degree, and so on and so forth. And you you put on hold that which is very important, that connection with God, which you need it today and every day. I believe, yeah, the Sabbath is a very good example if we understand how to rest on the Sabbath day. If we don't, then uh, the application may be a little bit uh, difficult. Pamela, what would you say to... Christian people who say we haven't got time to rest on the Sabbath. Any suggestions for that? I mean, I just heard that uh, expression, Ken, not, not rest for the wicked. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, I believe today, like never before, we should experience the Sabbath rest. We should learn how to put aside time for rest in God. When I choose to rest, so it's about, about my free choice. When I choose to enter in God's rest, this rest on the Sabbath gives you so much hope, faith, gives you energy, gives you that uh, heavenly rest in yourself that you are recharged for the following week as you are never recharged if you don't enter in, in God's rest of the Sabbath rest. Joe, you wanted to add something? Uh, I think sometimes um, we overlook that God also wanted us to 
rest from trying to save ourselves. Um, there was a, you know, there's a, always that the risk of us trying to work our way into salvation. And uh, just referring to Hebrews 4, it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. So I think sometimes we are inclined to struggle, to struggle, to try and earn our way to salvation, to earn God's pleasure and, um, you know, love. But I think the Sabbath rest is also symbolic of our rest in trusting him to save us rather than contributing, feeling that we have to contribute, that somehow we're going to add to the sacrifice that's already been made for us. So I think there's also that link, not just a, a physical rest, but also resting in our faith, knowing that God has done all there is that needs to be done to save us. Thank you. I think that was very well said, uh, Ken, what uh, Joe just uh, said, because it's so true that we, with our, you know, intellect and all our abilities, you know, we're trying to, to help to our salvation. But actually what we need to do to just allow God to work his salvation in us. I think that was very important what Joe was, was mentioning. Well, I'd like to add quickly that Jesus' sacrifice was complete. Mm. It didn't need us to uh, add a bit. Well, we need to accept all that God offers, his grace, his love, his forgiveness of our sins, and his invitation to enter into his rest and Jesus as our saviour and high priest. But we have our part to play in this too. We have to follow what the God has commanded us to do. Well, listeners, we're out of time again, and I just want to finish off with these thoughts. I hope you have enjoyed today's study, Longing for More. Looking around the world today, I believe there has never been a time of so much unrest. Yes, many people are at home through no fault of their own, resting, but they are worried, depressed, sick, having a sense of hopelessness, wondering what tomorrow will bring. Many see no future for this world or themselves. If only they would turn to Jesus and enter his rest, they could feel so much happier, knowing the end from the beginning, as God has shown us in the Bible. Christians all over the world are so excited because they know Jesus is coming very soon. They have entered into his rest and know he has promised to be with them till the end of time. Would you not like to have those burdens taken off your shoulders? In Isaiah 55 and verse 6 to 7, the Bible tells us to seek the Lord while he is near, which means seek out Jesus today while he may be found. The work he is doing for mankind is almost finished. Probation to God's kingdom will be closing soon, forever. Thank you. Joe, would you like to finish off with a word of prayer? Certainly. Dear Father, we're all longing for, for more, more, more than this world has to offer. There is far too much pain and suffering, and we know, Father, that this is not your doing or your will. We pray that you will give each longing heart, seeking for rest in you, that peace that they need for each day. Father, and those who are not aware of your loving presence, we pray that you speak to their hearts and fill them with hope. 
Bless each heart responding to you, and may they know that you dwell among them and are watching constantly. We thank you and pray for your continued blessing and peace in turbulent times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, everyone, for your participation today. Uh, I believe we could learn quite a bit uh, today through these examples, but uh, we are inviting you again to join us, listeners, next time when we are going to talk about the restless prophet. Maybe you're guessing already who we are going to talk about, and that will be an opportunity to learn from one of God's prophets, how he was walking on his ways and not what God expected him to do. And that's Jonah. Don't miss uh, next uh, program. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a restful time and walk in the footsteps of Jesus.